You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everybody, and welcome to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco, and this is episode 317, dated Friday, July 21st, 2023. Let me introduce my good friend and co-host, Peter Alchil. Peter, what's going on today in good old Columbia? It's one of the few pleasant, cool days of the year here in Columbia. Next week's supposed to be 98 degrees every day. That's going to be worse in Texas, I'm sure. Anyway, but but uh, thank you and welcome. Well, I think right now some of the folks in Texas would welcome 98 degrees. That's a cold front for them right now. They've had 30 or 35 straight days of of triple digits as our guests can attest to once we introduce them. I want to thank those folks who make it possible for In Perspective to be made available. We start out with our media sources. Thank you for that. And also Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place Chatline for posting our shows. Raymond Gay, our editor and producer, thank you very much for helping to make the show quality. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, thank you for archiving our shows. On my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Go there, click on In Perspective Podcasts, and you will see our archived programs from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. For the third time this year, we're going to have a scholarship winner on our program through the American Council of the Blind. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Andrew Diavola. He's going to tell us a lot about technology, new innovations there, along with employment innovations for the blind. He's a hard worker and very dedicated to what he does. Andrew, it's a pleasure having you on In Perspective. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, Bob. Hey, Peter. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here, and uh, I'm glad I'm indoors because it has been 35 days of (laughs) brutal weather here in Texas. (laughs) So, uh, Andrew, welcome. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Um, tell us, uh, you're getting a PhD, these are you know, working towards a PhD in what area? Uh, it's leadership, uh, in special education, but it's going to be within the focus area of sens- sensory disabilities. So people are vision impaired, blind, deaf, or, and deaf blind. So what does that mean, leadership in, uh, uh, what, what, you know, in assistive technology and disability and so on and so forth? Uh, so that would be in a higher role, like a director or one to be able to create a curriculum, uh, be able to take curriculum and uh, modify it as needed to make sure that we are accommodating to our students with uh, all disabilities. Um, so just taking on that leadership role and making sure that our school districts and our special education um, classrooms are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing and make sure that our students are getting a, a free and equal um, opportunity for education. So you are a really busy guy. Tell us what an average day for you looks like. Oh, my goodness. Um, now, it's gotten a little bit busier. Uh, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-month-old. Um, but um, I, I currently work as an assistive technology specialist. So I do teach assistive technology uh, to adults who are new to blindness. Um, and that's going to be all things technology. So I, I teach the Mac with voiceover. 
Uh, I teach all windows, uh, with JAWS, um, narrator, uh, mobile devices. So anything technology where we use assistive technology, I, I do teach, um, here, uh, for our, uh, we call them customers here in Texas. Uh, so I teach all customers, um, how to use assistive technology to go back to school, uh, go back to work and just be independent. Um, and uh, of course I'm doing my, my schooling. So, uh, while I'm riding paratransit, I- I'm definitely studying, de- doing homework, um, writing curriculum. And, um, when I come back, you know, I join my family a little bit, um, get them all ready for, for bed, give them their baths, then back to studying again. Uh, so, uh, I'm pretty disciplined as far as creating a schedule, making sure homework's getting done, work's getting done. Um, but also having that, that family balance. Um, <clears throat> so it, it is pretty busy, but I enjoy what I'm doing. And uh, I know I'm definitely making an impact in other people's lives uh, who are living with blindness or visual impairment. Do you teach remotely? Uh, I do not. Um, we have a facility here uh, in Texas called the Chris Cole Rehabilitation Center. Uh, so all Texans uh, come to Austin, Texas for training. And we teach them uh, daily living skills, uh, assistive technology, uh, career guidance, orientation mobility. Um, it's actually the uh, nation's largest residential facility, so they do stay in the dorms. Uh, they, we do feed them uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and they learn all the tools, techniques, Braille, um, cooking, um, everything to be independent, to be able to go and seek competitive employment. And um, like I said, I I do the technology portion there. So what prompted you to get interested in assistive technology? So I kind of fell into it. Um, So in 2004, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, RP, and I had planned my entire high school career uh, in going into law enforcement after I graduated, I, I played basketball, ran varsity cross country track. I was just preparing myself to go into law enforcement. And then, um, uh, I was hit with RP, uh, middle of the year, my senior year. So things changed. Um, I also went to Chris Cole for training, um, two weeks after I graduated high school and I ended up falling into um, going into culinary school, uh, that was like a like second passion of mine. And I fell into the, um, business enterprise of Texas program or what other states call the BEP program. And I did that for 10 years, uh, in El Paso, Texas. So I maintained food service contracts for the state. And I was asked to do a presentation for students, uh, who are want to become entrepreneurs or wanted to go down that business, um, path. And, uh, a counselor uh, pulled me aside after I did my presentation and said, hey, do you mind mentoring some of my students? They're going to college. And um, I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I ended up mentoring them, uh, tutored them, and kind of helped them throughout their, their collegiate career. And um, seeing them graduate after all that, um, it, it really put a lot of things into perspective. And I said, wow, I, I realized then I didn't need a badge to help people. And um, when that happened, that same counselor said, Hey, we need an assistive technology specialist in El Paso. Do you want to, you know, be our contract guy? So I said, sure. My, my jaw skills weren't that great at the time. Um, I went, I read the manual and, uh, started messing around with it, took the test, got certified. Uh, 
um, and started training. And then things just took off from there very, very quickly. And, um, that, that, that's pretty much how I fell into it. It was just, you know, they're asking me, Hey, we need a tech guy. And all I did was just, you know, start reading the jaws help topics and read the manual. And, uh, I was just a simple arrow down guy or hit the tab key. And, uh, I wasn't a big on technology back then, but, uh, I ended up falling in love with it. So, um, what do you enjoy most about the, the teaching, the teaching you do? Um, what I really enjoy is watching that, that daily progress in each individual, uh, because I get to see it in real time. Um, you see a lot of, um, our students coming into a facility and they're very shy, very timid. Um, they're scared to touch technology. They're scared to touch a keyboard because they hear John's talking right away. And, um, but then once you get them comfortable and I could see them just, you know, we're slowly, um, giving them the keyboard orientation. And then maybe a few days later, they're logging in by themselves. Then they're jumping into navigating this computer with JAWS and just seeing that daily progress uh, is definitely rewarding. And, and it's rewarding because you're, you know, you're making a difference in that person's life because you could see it in real time. And, and, and that's what I love about it. It's not about the money. It's, I know I'm making a difference and, um, and that's, I, you know, I just found it to be my calling and that's what I really enjoy about it. So you, you, you were, uh, your goal was to go into law enforcement. Uh, and next, uh, now you're getting your PhD in leadership and assistive technology, essentially. What prompted you to get all that additional education? Um, it was, uh, back to assistive technology. Um, I, I started off, uh, at the community college level. Um, you know, unfortunately I did have some professors to refuse to accommodate. Um, my tech skills weren't that great either. So it was a combination of things. And, uh, the struggle in college I know is across the board for majority of us. Um, but I knew with my tech skills where they're at now, um, and where they, uh, as they were coming up, I said, you know what? I, I really want to make a bigger difference in, our community, uh, the blindness community. Uh, I'm young. Uh, I'm going to cross train myself in all things vocational rehab. And, um, it, it just, I think it, what it, what it stems from is me being an athlete my whole life. I channeled that competitiveness from sports into vocational rehab. I'm very competitive with myself. Like I know I can do better. I know I can fix this. Um, so I went to the University of North Texas. I, I did that online. Um, and actually they hired me, uh, knowing that I was an assistive technology specialist. So I actually got paid to go to college and I helped make their online learning platforms fully accessible, um, for all students. And, um, so I got my bachelor's in rehab counseling, uh, and ended up going to Northern Arizona University, did that online as well and got my master's in assistive technology. And so I was like, you know what? Let, Let's keep this momentum. Let's keep going. Uh, I know it's painful, but it's definitely going to pay off for myself and definitely a lot of people at, at the end of the day. So, uh, what, what's, well, I guess my next, my next question is what is your dissertation topic? Or do you know yet as far as your PhD is concerned? Uh, I have a whole list. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to narrow it down because uh, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of data out there for just blindness. 
Um, but what I do find alarming that the numbers that do exist is uh, 10% of people who are uh, considered to be legally blind in the nation uh, will get an associate's degree. Uh, but there's a lot of variables where that 10% does get watered down um, based on, you know, maybe uh, if the parents never went to college, uh, race and ethnicity. Uh, there's a lot of variables where that 10% does get watered down. And then, of course, the unemployment rate, which has been either between 70, 75% for the past 50 years. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to make that correlation um, as far as, you know, is what what's occurring because uh, about 80% of jobs in the nation right now require at least a bachelor's degree or higher. Uh, but if only 10% of our population is only getting an associate's degree, then of course, that's going to stem to higher unemployment rates. And so I definitely want to look into that area and see how I can combat um, on how we can make that better or fix the system. Um, I, I've collected a lot of information already, but then um, I've, I've also noticed a lot of um, literacy issues with um, with people who were born blind um, in public schools. Uh, a lot of the special education departments are teaching uh, our blind students Braille um, right off the bat, which is great. Uh, I'm all for Braille. I am uh, too. But, yeah, and, and what, what they're forget, what they're neglecting though is teaching them the English alphabet and number system. So they're only sticking to Braille and not, you know, English alphabets, numbers. Um, and so when I when I'm training these people as adults. Um, the spelling isn't there. The literacy isn't there. That's because, you know, they're, they're used to contracted Braille, and that's not how it works in the English language. So I'm glad you brought that up, Andrew, because I, yeah. I had a friend. He's since passed away, and he <laughs> told me a story one time. He was in third grade, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a blind person, and, I, and he went to Perkins School like I did. And in class, they were having a spelling test. And so the teacher asked him to spell the word good. And he told the teacher, GD. And he insisted that he was right. Because yeah. all he knew was the Braille symbol for good. He was never <laughs> taught G-O-O-D. Exactly. You know? And the other example that I like to give in regards to that is the word knowledge. Now, whoever came up with a contraction for the word knowledge, I don't think thought it very through. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, yeah. I I agree. Yeah, the one I saw this week was the word bubble, and the student's like, "Well, what's the drop B like in the English language?" And I said, "There's no dropped B's for B U, and then the drop B, and then L E, and the word theater. They were using the contraction the, and then spelling out the rest of the word of theater. And um, you know, this person is, um, she had to drop out of school from college. Um, she she couldn't write papers. Um, she couldn't, you know, form proper sentence structures because writing it in Braille and typing on a computer are two different things. But she's one of the ones that she was only taught Braille and not the English alphabet or the numbering system. And, you know, when you look at it, Braille is considered to be only a code and not a language. And if we're not teaching them the English language of the alphabets, then then there's that literacy issue of, um, you know, even as simple as signing one's name. Um, what do you think of unified English Braille, UEB? Um, I I think I'm still having difficulty with the contractions because it, it goes back because I I didn't lose my sight till as an adult. 
Um, so contractions are still throwing me off because, um, you know, we don't really use, I guess you could say we use acronyms when writing, but contractions are just, they, they still confuse me being someone who was cited, um, and, uh, learn, uh, utilizing braille, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's just like any other language. You kind of just have to get, kind of get used to it. <laughs> Uh, one more comment before I turn it back over to Peter. You mentioned a theory as to why the unemployment rate of the blind has been stagnant for nearly 50 years. You were talking about how 80% of jobs require a bachelor's and only 10% of the blind get associates. I had never heard that theory before. That's very intriguing. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. And, um, and what, what is hard to extract is the, the blindness population statistics because Everything I'm seeing is uh, blindness is being rolled into just people living with a disability. Um, so, like, the rates will show that people with disabilities, um, 12% of the population is unemployed. Well, when you roll in blindness in with all disabilities, you know, unemployment does become 12%, which is about, uh, you know, four times the of the, the normal population unemployment rate. But when you extract the the part from the whole, just blindness, that 12% turns to 75%. So I, I wonder if those numbers are just, are being balled into just one to look better on paper. Um, but that, that's kind of the research or the path I'm still trying to figure out for my dissertation is how do we, how do we extract the part from the whole and bring more awareness to the blindness population on how we can fix, um, you know, the college success rates, um, and, uh, unemployment. So when I work with a lot of the universities with their office of disabilities offices, and, um, what I'm noticing that every campus I've got a degree from, the professors are not required to have any sort of sensitivity training or ADA training. And, but the ironic thing is the ADA law is printed on every single syllabus and at the end of the day, um, universal de- design learning begins and ends in the classroom. Uh, it's not at the student with disabilities offices. Uh, it, it's all going to fall back on the professor. And it's like, well, why don't we start making uh, sensitivity training or disability awareness training mandatory for all professors and kind of eliminate that whole barrier or struggle in the classroom when uh, accommodations start and end in their classroom. And, you know, that's probably another thing I would like to look into is how do we make this mandatory for all colleges to make sure that um, all professors are getting some sort of training so that they understand there's a person with a disability in their classroom um, and they have at least some knowledge of how to accommodate, not just push them to a office for disabilities office and say, you know, let go over there. They'll fix it for you. Well, it's going to come back to that professor and they say, okay, well, the student needs extended time, so you got to fix that. So I think if we look into, I guess, some sort of training for those professors um, for colleges, I, I think that could that could help boost those numbers for college success rates. So uh, I think uh, as one who's been in the diversity uh, arena for quite a while, the DEI arena, the other piece of what you're talking about is if you're going to mandate training, which doesn't always work, the, uh, you got to figure out what training works best. You know, what, what training is most likely to get, to, to get you to where you want to go. And there's a lot of, 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 um, lack of consensus in the field about what, what works or what doesn't work. 
Um, it's, it's, it's a complicated situation. Um, and if that's the direction you had, you, 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 you choose to go in, you will be rattling a lot of nests, uh, hornets nests, I suspect, which probably is a good thing. Um, so anyway, um, and then the other thing, the other thing, just to sort of reinforce what you were talking about numbers, um, that, that's, that's 67% or 75%, whatever number you, 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 you're using, it's been around for a while, as you say, but I'm not sure how accurate that number is. Uh, you know, the, the latest number I'm seeing is the dis- uh, the rate among people, the unemployment rate of people who are dis- uh, disabled is something like two to three times higher than the general population. And one of the things has to do with the severity of the disability. You know, it, the, 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 the statistics are all over the place, as you they say. Are. It's really, really uh, annoying because, you, you know, I, I, you know, when I'm, when I make presentations, I want to give as accurate statistics as I can, and I find there aren't any. Basically, uh, it's very it's very hard to 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 be you know without being dramatic to be as as you know as honest as you can because the stats are just all all over the place. They really are, yeah. And um, that's that's where I'm kind of starting my list now of <laughs> my dissertation focus because um, uh, there's there's a lot of work uh, I guess in that area that needs to be. Definitely tapped into. So what, when do you anticipate finishing your PhD? And then what do you anticipate doing? If everything goes well, what would you like to do after you get your PhD? Um, so, and, and that's the hard, that's the struggle. I, I love teaching assistive technology, but um, I would love to take on a director posi- uh, position, um, either a school district or working for the state. Um, Cause change comes from the top down. So uh, I definitely have a, a lo- very large background. Um, you know, like I said, I cross-trained myself in a lot of areas just because I'm, I'm competitive that way. And uh, I definitely want to keep going as far to the top as possible to kind of help make these changes, uh, whether that be at the you know public school system. Um, I, I guess it just, it's going to come down to what's available at the time, but in, uh, but while that occurs, uh, I would still like to maybe teach at the um, collegiate level as a professor uh, part time. Um, so kind of moonlight do that. And um, but what, what would what would your ideal job be if you if you know what would your ideal job look like? I think it would be a director position, um, maybe at a central office for a school district, um, just to be able to make changes, um, uh, starting with our, our very young student population, uh, cause that's, that's where we see a very large struggle is because if we, if I'm able to correct a lot of these issues while they're young, kinder, first, second grade, um, you know, I think they would have a, a easier opportunity once they leave high school to go into college. Um, I would also like to see maybe like some kindergarten or first grade programs where um, we're introducing curriculum where um, we're teaching our kindergartners, all our first graders about students with disabilities. Because if we educate our children that young, then we also don't have that struggle with them being older and not knowing how to interact with a person with a disability or how to help people with a disability. But if we, if we teach all our kids at the kindergarten, first grade level, then we have more educated people in the community to be able to help others with disabilities. And um, I, I would like to see that happen and definitely take on that role as a director somewhere uh, to be able to implement some of those uh, ideas that I have. 
So we are uh, getting close to the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I would like you to uh, talk about your sense of the state of the world when it comes to disability inclusion and with a focus, of course, on visual impairment. What are we doing well? What needs to improve? You talked about some of this already, but give us give us your big picture. What's working? What isn't working? What needs to happen in the future? Um, what's working now? Um, is definitely the the boost in uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, that's taken off really really quick, but it's definitely a double edged sword. Very scary. Um, it is very scary, and you see a lot of our uh, our writers and um, in the movie industry on strike because now the computers are writing scripts for movies. Um, the, uh, you know, it'll write a paper for a student and, you know, the, you have the whole plagiarism. It's not that student's work. Um, you can pretty much ask a computer anything and it's pretty much going to do it now. But what um, if the directors of these films don't want the scripts that the computer writes? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. I'm not too quite sure about the, yeah, about the movie industry, but I, I know that's a big issue right now is, um, you know, the computer doing the work for the person. Um, and I do see it helpful in, in a way for people with blindness, but it, it's one of those things with great powers comes great responsibilities. Um, I was watching a video the other day where, uh, you know, you can plug in numbers and say, create a line graph for me. And the computer will create a graph with the, with the information you give it. Or if you're giving it percentages, it'll create a pie graph for you with colored slices. And this computer is doing it all for you. And that kind of falls, falls in line with a reader scribe. So when you're, you know, you're having someone else do it for you because you can't do it visually. Um, but now the computer can do it for you. Um, but then that also falls in, you know, is that, considered to be a scribe or is that plagiarism uh there's just a lot of unknowns right now um you've also see um the robotic guide dogs using artificial intelligence where it's a robot guide dog and it's helping you cross streets and um it, it, it it's taken off i think too fast um i, I um you know, Bill Gates and um, a lot of these big tech people are saying we need to slow this down because we don't know half of the capabilities of, of AI. Um, and, um, it, you know, I have seen it to be helpful, but dangerous. <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely a, a big, big debate at the moment. Um, and, um and it, it's also like uh, the Jetsons. I, I think they first aired in 1962, and everything that you know that we see in the Jetsons, we have now. They had the dog on a treadmill. You know, we invented treadmills, and now, uh, you know, the FaceTime when uh, George Jetson's boss would call him on FaceTime and yell at him, and you know, now we have that in our hands with with FaceTime, and um, and technology has definitely helped. Uh, myself and I think a lot of people are blind, especially using voiceover on an iPhone or talkback because it allowed me to also be social, uh, help me meet my wife. I was able to text her, you know, get on Facebook. I, I jokingly tell people I lost my eyesight. I didn't lose my game, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, technology, um, has definitely balanced out 
and leveled the, the playing field for us, people who are living with blindness, because now we can compete um, with a lot of these, you know, work from home jobs, um, um, just anything technology based, anything you can do with a mouse, we can definitely do with a keyboard. And, um, but it, it is still a double edged sword, but it, I think it's how you use it and are you using it ethically. So uh, uh, the, let's, get, let's get back to the broader question I framed. Uh, which was, what is the state of the union, as it were, uh, with the ADA? What, and you mentioned one thing that's, that's potentially working is artificial intelligence. What else, yeah. what's, what else is working well and what else do you think needs to, uh, you know, to change? I think what, I think what could change is, um, holding a lot of these businesses feet to the fire, um, as far as what a website should look like and how you it brought should that up. Act. Yeah. Uh, they're all different. Um, there, we do have the, um, web content accessibility guidelines, but it's a, it's a guideline. Uh, why don't we make it law? Uh, you know, this is what your website should look like. This is, you know, the colors you are able to use. Um, you know, all your buttons and things should be labeled this way. Uh, you know, we have an ADA federal law. Uh, why not make web content, you know, part of that law? This is what it should look like. Specific standards. Um, and, and I think we could do better there. You know um, what it is, Andrew? There are a lot of sighted people who have businesses, and of course they design websites. Mm-hmm. And because they're sighted, not that I'm trying to lump everybody in one category, they know that graphics are attractive to the human eye. And this is why they put graphics on the sites. And as we know as blind people, and I'm sure Peter can attest to this too, graphics interfere with the way we navigate the sites. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, But I think a good um, resolution to that is, you know, if you can make your website as flashy as possible, but you should have a, you know, an accessible link. Click on this link if you want, you know, a, an accessible version of our website. Um, and, and I think that, that can be definitely be done, um, where you're accommodating to all people's needs where, you know, if you're going to create a flashy website with graphics and moving images, uh, you know, provide a link to a site where it's definitely usable, um, uh, with, with screen reading software. I, there's an irony in all of this, at least in my experience, which is, uh, when I've, uh, but in the workplace, uh, a lot of the websites I've worked with have been, let's say, partially accessible. Means there are things that I can do on it and things that I, that I could not do on it. And so people would come by my desk and they would sort of see what I was doing. They'd say, you know, that site, uh, that part of the website that doesn't work for you at all, we don't like using. It's too complicated. You know, uh, and, and the moral of the story that I, and I've said this to several web designers over the years is if you make it more accessible to us, meaning people with disabilities, you'll probably make it a lot better for everybody else as well. People don't want to see graphic stuff a lot of the time. They want it, they want it, they want ease of use. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't want, you know, and I, I am convinced based on my limited, uh, research, which is, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Hearing from people at random, which is hardly research, that um, that some I think tech people do things because they're techy and it and it's fun to do, and they don't often take into consideration what the customer actually wants, whether they be disabled or not. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
and it's it's also getting dangerous uh, as far as everything being so tech heavy. Uh, I don't know if you've even seen Coca Cola machines where the found drinks are touch screen. Oh uh, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like how far are we going to go with technology? You know, some technology doesn't doesn't uh, need to be in certain places like a I think like a fountain drink machine, but um, but yeah, no, they're, they're just and that's what I think the dangerous part of technology and not having uh, specific rules. Um, you know, if you're going to push out a touchscreen vending machine, like, uh, you know, the law should say, you know, that you should have some sort of voice capability or like voiceover talkback or, um, but anyone could just create anything with technology now and not have to follow those guidelines. And I think we could do better there in the ADA. Um, you know, we, if we can't get it done in private sector, you know, let's make it done federally. Um, a lot of these airline websites, um, you know, are horrible when you're trying to book an airline, uh, a flight somewhere. Uh, you know, let, let's tackle it. Maybe let's start with federal, federal websites. Um, it shouldn't be that difficult as long as everybody should. becomes, uh, unified on the same page, so to speak. Exactly. Um, you're listening to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco and my co-host is Peter Elchel. We're talking with technology specialist Andrew Diavola. And so now I think we're going to open up our program to our participants. So first of all, let me thank Angela for being our host for today's episode. Angela, you can let us know whether or not there are any hands raised at this time. Yes, there is one hand raised right now. Let's go for it. Carrie Ma. Muth. Carrie from Oregon. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. So I just, um, I wanted to mention to people, cause you, you mentioned the sad shape of like a lot of blind people only have an associate's level degrees. So there are currently, I'm working under a pilot project. There's eight states involved, um, with vocational rehabilitation. It's called ICAP, the Inclusive Career Advancement Program. And what it is, it, it, it's at community college level to provide additional support for students with disabilities on campuses. So, for example, in Oregon, we have 17 community colleges, 14 of which have an ICAP coach working there. So I don't arrange for accommodations. We have an accessibility director that, that does that. Um, but, you know, I just provide extra support. So some of those extra supports that maybe students had when they were in high school um, are available. And and so, and like I said, there's eight states doing these and it's a five year pilot project. We're finishing up year two or yeah, I think it's year two. And so it's kind of exciting. And you know, the focus on this may be like associate level or certificate programs because we have like some one year certificates, but they're all stackable credentials. So all of the courses in the certificates can be are part of an associates, which can be then go towards a bachelor's degree. So, um, you know, there are some, some things happening out there to try to make higher education more accessible for people with disabilities. So, um, it, it's pretty exciting work. And, um, the conversation you guys were having about the mandatory, um, training stuff, we are actually Hoping, I, I just need one more approval. Um, John Robinson, who does ourability.com, he's actually hoping, we're hoping he's coming to a mandatory all staff and faculty meeting. And he does a lot on, you know, kind of ableism um, and that type of 
information. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of work out there in some of the colleges trying to, you know, create a better environment for students with disabilities to be successful. That's amazing. I'm, I'm glad to hear there's programs like that. That, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Interesting stuff you're doing. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, you for sharing. Much. Thanks, thank Carrie. You. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, any, any other uh, hands raised? No hands raised at this time. All right. Well, please let us know if people do raise their hands, interrupt us, and, uh, we will, uh, find time to, for them to, uh, phrase there their questions. Right then, then let's, let's, uh, let's, let's take All it. Right. Um, area code 505-638. You may speak. Yes. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Beth. Yes. <laughs> How do you know? Hi, okay. Beth. Hi. I was going to say in, in all states, everything is not equal though. A lot of, a lot of people in this state kind of resented or resent the ADA. They, they, uh, they try and say it's not valid. It's been challenged in court. And you're like, yes, it is valid. Like, um, this isn't the only state that does it. Like, sometimes they'll try and send a, a blind person to a to a nursing home just because they can't read or something like that or they don't have no family. Or, um, like, even in, in schools, they won't give you the proper special education that you need. They don't. Because they feel that you're in a minority, they don't want to do that. Like, like in even high schools and stuff. Well, it's all yeah. about law enforcement. You've got to enforce the ADA in the right manner. I think you found your calling, Andrew. Right? You want to be in law enforcement, right? <laughs> Wanted to, but. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 what do you what do you make of what Beth is saying? You know, the, uh, you know, the ADA is. Well, uh, it, uh, and part of what Beth reminds me of is there is the, the federal ADA, but then each state has its own variant of the of the law, and that can get really complicated really quickly. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, just you know, stick <laughs> sticking together. You know, we have a lot of these are, are ACB state chapters and uh, local chapters, and uh, you know, definitely we need to stick to just being one voice. And I think if we do that, I. I think we we could still be able to make changes. So, uh, thank you, Beth. Um, yeah, but it is it is You're really welcome. It is really really frustrating stuff. It, stuff that that we hear about, um, uh, and, and it feels sometimes like we're that we're we're going backward, not forward, and that sort of bothers me sometimes. And Anyone? Yeah. What, what do you make of that, Andrew? I was what, what I just said. Uh, and I have these conversations, you know, with my wife and, and people, you know, my friends. And it's, you know, I, I, I ask people, when was the last time you walked into a, a business and you were helped by a person with a disability? Uh, you know, it's been years. I don't think I, I, I've been into a business where I was helped or assisted or, um, by a person with a disability. And it's like, you know, after the pandemic, all these businesses were, we're begging for help and you know, we've been begging for you to hire us, but you know, why, I, I just don't know why there's still that issue of the unemployment rate when a lot of businesses still to this day still need help. And um there's just, I, I don't see a lot of businesses hiring people with disabilities. Well, I think Maybe. the big question here, Andrew, is how informed are these businesses? 
who yeah. informs them of what they should know? Well, and I, I, I think I think the other issue is I, I think um, that you know those businesses who are having trouble hiring people, you know they they really should reach out more to folks with you know people with disabilities or, or agencies that are helping people with disabilities get jobs. But they 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 have there's lots of fear involved I think, and a lot of people simply don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Or they think it's going to be a massive thing. All right, let's uh, let's hear that. Uh, let's who, who's the new person? And now lower. We have somebody with their screen reader on. Can you please shut it off? Thank you. Who do we have, Angela? Uh, their name was Tony. 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 Hey, hi. How you doing, everybody? Hey, Tony. How are you, sir? Hi, um, Andrew. Let's let's go to the other law that maybe is more pertinent to your profession, um, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA. And it's going to be a general question, and it's going to be way more complicated than it sounds, but I'm just curious about your thoughts about mainstreaming versus special, specialized uh, classrooms for some of the kids with disabilities. Yeah, Um and and that I think is going to have to definitely fall on a case by case basis. Um, but I, I think the end goal for all students should definitely be inclusion. Um, I, I think we do need this is going to fall. This falls into that program where I want to develop. If I do become a you know a director somewhere, is uh, educating all of our kindergartners, disability or not, um, how to interact with you know, other students with disabilities or people with disabilities, because you're now educating a child who becomes educated as an adult on how to interact with someone with a disability. And that, and I think it's because it goes back to that is, you know, let's, let's educate all of our students early kinder, first, second grade, um, implement, you know, these, these sensitivity trainings into curriculum, because um, like I said, you know, an educated, Student becomes an educated adult. Do you any, go ahead. Yeah. Any 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 follow up, Tony? Well, we don't have three hours to go through this <laughs> or more. Andrew, yeah. Andrew did well. You know, his push is to get them as mainstream as you possibly can, and uh, you know, I I think I feel the same way. Yeah, Thank definitely. You. Thank you, Tony. Thank, Thank you, Tony. Tony. Thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate it. There is uh, another person. Let's let's take it. Who is it? Ursula and 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 um, Ursula, maybe. Urs yeah, Ursula and yeah. Somebody with that name or equivalent of that name. You spell it for us. A R S A L A N. Ursalan. 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 I don't know. We may have to get back to him or her. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm curious, um, Andrew, uh, we talked about artificial intelligence and it, it it's going to, it, it's going to impact our, us in ways we can't even imagine two or three years from now. Do you have any feel for how it might impact the younger age educational wise that, the, the, as you call it, the kinder or the first grade, the second graders? How how is education going to change? Do you have any thoughts about that at all? Especially um, in books. And I, I think that's still the giant question mark. Um 
you know, I, I, I think it's great because, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's that double-edged sword where, uh, you know, back in the day when we didn't have an answer to something, we're looking into, <laughs> going looking for an encyclopedia or how <laughs> to go to the library. Um, but I, I think a lot of our students are very well educated now because they have access to answers like Google and, uh, chat GPT. But then there's also the other side where, you know, is it going to create laziness? Is it, are we, they're just going to rely on technology to do all the work. Um, there, there are just so many variables, but, um, I, I do see those students who, um, you know, are a lot more educated than a lot of us growing up because they have access to answers so much more quickly than what we did growing up, you know, having to go look for an encyclopedia. You can search for anything around the world or even how to speak a different language. And, um, yeah, babble. They have that yeah. app called Babel. You can converse with somebody in another language while you're learning. Exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's actually it's actually more dramatic than that. You you can you can have uh, 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 artificial intelligence translate into another language what you're writing or speaking. Exactly. It's, it's not quite there yet, but it's moving in that direction. Um, yeah. And what does that mean about learning a foreign language? Right? Do you need to learn a foreign language? If, if the machine will translate it for you. And that, and that comes, you know, the, the laziness, unfortunately, <laughs> for lack of a better word, is, you know, you're not a, really applying yourself because you're just letting technology do the work. Oh, oh you know? Peter, I'll try to answer that for you. If the person needs to learn how to converse in a foreign language, he would have to practice. I know that the translator, the technical translator will do the translating, but he still has to learn it and apply it if he's going to converse with somebody from that language. But supposing, uh, just to play the opposite side, and this is for anybody who wants to react to this, supposing I I could have, and I, I think something like this may be coming in, in, in down the road, a, a piece of something, a wearable technology that I say to it, uh, hey, technology, I need, uh, I'm going to speak in English, I need you to translate it into Spanish so that the person I'm speaking with understands. And, and the will machine- delay, that will delay all conversations. Uh, I mean, you and I can dialogue as we are dialoguing, but if I all of a sudden say, can you translate this so that Peter can understand me now? Time has gone by. Maybe, but, but, but you may be right. I mean, it would be like a satellite phone conversation. If anybody's been on those calls where you say something and then there's a pause and then, and then the person responds back. Um, but I, I think, th- I think this kind of stuff is coming. Um, um, mm-hmm. what, what do you, what are you seeing, uh, Andrew about, Artificial intelligence and employment. What are you seeing sort of, uh, having the, how those two are connecting these days? I, I see it being very, very helpful because, uh, you now see like on Zoom or Teams, um, the real time, uh, closed captioning where, uh, AI is doing that for our people who, um, have a hearing disability or, and are need the use of closed captioning. So, uh, you do have, you know, artificial intelligence helping that way as far as employment. Um, a cool a device I saw that's using AI, uh, at the ACB conference was the Celeste glasses, um, where it was doing the scene described. The gentleman was holding an apple and, uh, you know, it said a, a person, a male holding, a, it said a red ball, but it was, the lighting was off, but, uh, it was describing the entire room, uh, he said that there was a person who was a landscaper who had difficulty planting certain plants. So they, 
you know, wrote the code, inserted the, the code into the glasses. And now the glasses can tell you the specific species of plants or trees. Um, so I, I see, you know, that kind of technology and the Celeste glasses helping people who are blind or vision impaired, uh, have a better, um, better outcome for employment and obtaining and maintaining employment. Um, so I, I definitely see it, um, uh, in a very, very positive direction. Um, especially in, the, in those glasses and, um, you know, other apps to come with that same technology. And what will happen to JAWS down the road, right? I mean, uh, how relevant will JAWS be? I'm not saying tomorrow. It's still obviously really relevant. But, you know, who knows what, what things are going to be like 10 years from now. <laughs> right? You know, and, 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 and so I, I really do wonder how, how educating, how we should be changing and educating our, our, you know, our, our, our young people. And, and just to tell you what's going on at the University of Missouri, I tutor student athletes attending the University of Missouri. And one of the things that they're beginning to talk about in university is AI GPT is there. It's, it's there. People are doing the work. So the question becomes, how, how should it be allowed to be used in a class, in a classroom situation? And how do people learn to use it effectively? You know, um, and these are questions that are being, uh, wrestled with right now at the University of Missouri athletic department. Uh, and nobody knows the answer yet. Uh, there was a comment, uh, that was made about you, you said, Andrew, that people can have access to more to use the K word knowledge, right? Um, but is that wisdom? How do you use that knowledge? And how does that, how does artificial intelligence translate or can it this sort of knowledge into wisdom? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's that still that giant question mark is, and, and I think it comes down to, um, I think having to teach our, uh, you know, our, our children, you know, ethics, you know, what is, what's, what, what should, how should you be using technology and are you using it ethically? Yeah. And then, and so what, what, what other challenges do you see? So thinking about employment and, and, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and technology. What other challenges do you see c- going forward or education for that matter? What, what, what else do you, what else are you thinking about as you move forward with your PhD work? Um, there, there are just so many directions. It, it, it's hard to just hone in on one area. Um, you know, topics like this, I, I think we need to have, you know, more frequently. Um, and, you know, start figuring out, you know, what is the, the mainstream issue and how do we come together as a whole? Um, I understand, you know, there's different organizations like AFB, ACB, NFB. Uh, but we, I think if we just all come together as a whole, because, you know, our, there are different organizations, but we're all in the same boat when it comes to accessibility. And, um, I, I think coming together as one whole, one voice, um, I, I think is also crucial and, and, and we're definitely doing that. Um, but you know, what's the next step? Where do we go? What's next? What do we tackle next? Um, you know, is it the ADA, uh, making the websites, you know, creating laws on how websites should look or, uh, I, I think just coming together, just figuring out what's going to be the next um, task to tackle. Um, cause there are just so many issues. Um, and I think we just need to keep tackling them one at a time. But 
uh, you know, sometimes it's, it does feel when you take one step forward, then it's like two steps back. Um, or two and, steps sideways, right? Or it's sideways. It's, it's not necessarily back. It's, it's sideways because you don't quite know what the future holds, right? And if, if you're not making the future, you, you run the risk of it running over you. Exactly. Uh, Andrew, I just have a quick question. What do you think of these networks of lawyers who want to sue businesses for inaccessible websites and they use blind people to act as decoys or go-betweens to report back to them on what they find? Some of them even get paid. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Uh, I, wow. I was actually, I'm not very familiar with that, but, um, you know, it, it definitely hurts us, um, you know, and, and our credibility as well. Especially, kind of and, I'll, and I'll tell you a true story. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Andrew, but one no, time I was asked to be a web tester by a law, by a lawyer network. I was asked to be a web tester, but in order for me to get paid to be a web tester, I had to agree to be a plaintiff in any lawsuit that the attorney filed against the business that I report. I don't think that helps the blind people gain employment in private industry at all. They're just exploiting us and using us. Sorry, this is Deborah from uh, Peterborough, Canada, and I just uh, oh hi, chime in if you want. Yeah, I've I've um, I've heard of that too, and it's yeah, it gives us a bad gives us a bad rap it's it, it ain't fair <laughs> it really isn't well and, and go, ahead, go ahead go ahead but there, i mean sometimes it's it's hard to know if that kind of thing that they're doing is is legit because there still are some um sites that may not be accessible but if if uh if some of these uh weird organizations keep threatening to sue so such and such an organization because the website is not accessible. Instead of threatening them, why the heck don't they uh, don't they uh, you know educate them? That's what. Yeah, because I think a lot of these. I'm sorry, Deborah, but I think a lot of these companies they don't mean to do what they're doing. They, they don't know. They need education. Yeah, You're absolutely exactly. right. You yeah. just don't sue somebody for not knowing something. Ah, yeah, that's now, right. Now we get into a complicated issue because there it's is a cash graph. Well, but now we're getting into a complicated matter because. There's a case coming up before the Supreme Court next year that's going to be argued. And the basic uh what what the businesses are arguing is that if if we in the disability community find a problem with their website, we shouldn't be allowed to sue them until we make uh, alert them to the problem. Now, on one level that makes that makes sense, you know, uh you know, we we should we should, we should try to cooperate first before we sue. Okay, fair enough. But should that be mandated? Should we be required to do that? Uh, the ADB's, ADA has been the law for 33 years. People, you know, it's, it, uh, uh, you know, businesses should at least have some idea, uh, that, you know, that, uh, that, that the law is in existence. Should, you know, should we in the disability community be mandated to, to alert them first before we sue them? No other, no other minority groups required to do that. If I'm discriminated against because I'm a I'm a white male, which is a big big topic these days, uh, I don't have to go to the person and say, "Hey, uh, you're discriminating me because I'm a white male." No, I, I I can if I want sue them. I might lose, but I I can I can sue them. So you know I I am very leery of this case. I think I, if if this if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the organizations, 
uh, I think the ADA is going to be set back a, a, while, a while, even though I think uh, that the right thing to do is to alert the organization first. I think that is the right thing to do, but I don't know if it should be mandated. We have about another half a minute or so. Andrew, if you want to wrap up and give your conclusions before we leave today. Um, no, and, and I think that falls in line with what we are discussing earlier with the web content accessibility guidelines. There's there's already a a map on what it should look like. It's just not being applied or enforced by, you know, our, our government under the ADA. Uh, instead of us letting us tell those organizations, oh, you need to fix this. Well, there's already a path. There's already a roadmap. Um, we just need, you know, them to be held accountable and say, all right, go and use the, what's already created for you and it'll be accessible. <laughs> I'm afraid our time is up for this edition of In Perspective. It's been a fast hour. We want you to come back again sometime, Andrew. You have a lot to bring to the table. We appreciate what you're doing. You're a very hardworking young man, raising a family, teaching, doing all that you do for the blind community. We appreciate you very much. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Stay tuned next week. We're going to have an author that's been on before. He's coming back, Leonard Touchener. They call him Touchy. That's his nickname. He'll be back next week. Peter, thank you. Angie, thank you for being our host for today. And thank you to our guests and our participants. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Take care.